Hi there, and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry, and when I was 14 years old, I started making stop-motion animations in my bedroom using my grandpa's old camera. Ever since, I've been obsessed with everything to do with animation, and right now, I'm a student at Sheridan College. I created this podcast to connect with and learn from some of the biggest names in the industry, their best practices, the hardships they went through, and what to focus on to make it in today's changing animation world. It's my hope that by sharing this info that you too have the best chance of success. Now let's get started. In this episode, we are talking about the skills and attitude you need to make it as a story artist and who better to share their experience than a seasoned story artist from DreamWorks Animation. That is Colin Jack. So Colin, he started his career as a freelancer before landing his first gig working on Ed, Ed and Eddie at Cartoon Network. And since then, he's worked on nearly two dozen shows and movies, including Total Drama Island, Hotel Transylvania, Captain Underpants, and Boss Baby. And if you didn't think that was enough, he's also a children's book illustrator. So, Colin, thank you for being here today. How are you doing? Good. Sounding very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. So, well, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, dis- we'll disillusion them in a moment. Well, we'll tell them the truth in a moment. <laughs> All right. Well, um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah. I always kick off these chats kind of in the same way, and that's by asking, you know, how did you get interested in pursuing a career in animation? Uh, that goes back to, like, being nine, um, <laughs> uh, which was a very, very, very long time ago. 30 years ago, in fact. Um, uh, I uh, was watching an episode of Tiny Toons Adventures, and uh, they were talking about the animation process. Uh, I used I used to love to draw, and I would draw like Bart Simpson and like Warner Brothers characters. Just on like, uh, my dad was a copywriter, so he for uh, radio, so he he would have these like sheets of computer paper, and back then they would have like serrated edges with holes. That's like it's old. Um, you could probably find you'll never be able to find this paper, but I would always flip on the back and I would draw with marker. But there was a uh, there was an episode where they talked about the process of animation, and I didn't realize that oh my gosh, I can that's a job. And I was nine, uh, and that was it. I was done. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and uh, much just the chagrin of my my teachers and professors uh, from <laughs> from fourth grade on to like <laughs> when I finished high school. Uh, that's all I did, and I tried to. I, mean, I did school. I was a pretty decent student, but I would I would always like try to make it into some kind of form of a cartoon, <laughs> even in writing assignments. Yeah, even like even like creative writing assignments that I would get, I would go, "Well, is there an illustration <laughs> uh, component to it?" And they're like, "Just draw a picture, Colin. <laughs> That's what makes you happy. Go ahead." Uh, um, so, but yeah, sounds good. Uh, so tonight. So so nine was it, and then like um, that was kind of like a I don't want to say the golden age event, but there was there was still Saturday morning cartoons uh, like Tiny Toons, and there was Batman uh, the animated series, and you know I, I just devoured all of it, and then you know um, I also discovered in that obsession a, a thing called Animation Magazine, uh, which still I think still comes out today, um, but then you would see things like uh, cells, like you, you could order cells, like by by a mail. Uh, for I'm just gonna say, it, I mean, for for those who don't know, <laughs> cells were the things that you would paint, like plastic sheets that you would paint 
cartoons on before before the computer. So I'd order a ton of those and use like overhead projector markers to like <laughs> um, to to ink and paint my sort of really crummy animation and and paint the back. Of it. <laughs> you were a really uh, ambitious kid. <laughs> I no, I was I was just obsessed, um, and it didn't go away uh, ever <laughs> from then on. So. So, uh, so between nine years old and when you actually got your first gig in the animation industry, I know uh, in our pre-chat you you mentioned it wasn't the smoothest ride after you graduated. I'm wondering oh, if you can no. yeah, go well, into yeah, a little bit of that. That was that was nine, and then you know, um, yeah, it was a, it's a, it was a sea of rejection, and and we're still rejection. Like I just had, I just got rejected for something yesterday, which I can share as well. Um, so, yeah, so. Uh, high school ends and then there's a program available in Vancouver where I'm from um, and uh, it's the anime commercial animation program at Capilano College now university um, and it was a very like it's back then and I don't know how it is now the um, what you had to do to like get into the course was present a portfolio of like life drawing and like basic like art skills um and then uh animal drawings human drawings and then like still life drawings like just really classical classical art skills to get into this program um and based on the portfolio i was i sent in i got rejected <laughs> okay. uh so it was about 1819 um so that really bummed me out, but I also needed to go to, I need either go to college or, um, or uh, go get a part-time job somewhere. So I, I took a fine arts course at Langara for about a year and a half, and that was fine. Um, I learned some very basic um, sort of painting and drawing and stuff like that. And, uh, and eventually, um, about a year and a half into that, I'm like, no, I gotta try it. I'm gonna try again and apply again. So I took a semester. I stopped going to art school, uh, and I decided to just work uh, part time at uh, Zeller's. Um, is Zeller still up in Canada? Is that still a thing? Uh, no, it's it's closed down. Oh, <laughs> it went bankrupt. Oh, really? Yeah, years ago. Uh, so. Yeah, I was working. Yeah, I was working part time at Zellers, and then I I decided to uh, go ahead and um, get my portfolio together and meet the requirements that were sort of asked of you. Uh, and I got in. Um, so I started working. I started doing uh, taking that course at you know, two thousand. So I graduated two thousand two. Um, and yeah, so I, you know was a full-time student at Capilano um, and then 2002 rolled around and I graduated um, and the industry kind of tanked at that point in Vancouver. Um, I think actually across Canada there was just nothing coming up from I mean because we're primarily a service um, country when it comes to animation um, that there was nothing happening. I had a few friends who got, fire, uh, got hired right away and then myself I ended up waiting another year working at Zellers um, uh, and to be totally frank 
my my portfolio that came out uh, that you know 2002 wasn't the best. Um, I'd say I was probably in the lower end uh, of students that were graduating. So um, I spent that almost solid year uh, humbly working at Sellers still um, and trying to get a portfolio that was up to an industry standard. Um, and then from there, <laughs> boy, this is a sad story. One more <laughs> as I'm going through it, but it gets better, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> somewhere, uh, along the line, somewhere right? along the line, but stay with me. Um, so, uh, you know, like when when the it, at that time in the industry, especially in Vancouver, the one job you could definitely get uh, was a flash animator job. So, I had a portfolio that you know had drawing skills that were passable, uh, um, and they said, you know, flash animation. And I was just wanting to get in. So I was like, yeah, great. Start next week. Oh, um, so I spent <laughs> about a week and a half learning how to do Flash. Um, and I did it well enough for a time until they started giving me more complex scenes in Flash animation. Uh, and as it, I just didn't have enough knowledge, practice, any kind of... Um, Honestly, and I, I would say even in, in university, I wasn't an animator. I was more, I was definitely more of a designer or even storyboard artist. Um, and I didn't, I chose to ignore those things. So I just wanted to get into this business. Uh, but uh, as a result uh, of that, I got, I got like, I got a fucking shit can. <laughs> uh, um, That's a euphemism for saying let go. That, and that, I mean, yeah. Yeah, uh, I got hired. Uh, sorry, hired. I got fired, um, and that was rough. That was that was a real kick in the gut because it was um, it was it was just a reality check of no one is going to uh, when you get into the industry, especially when you're starting out. Um, there are not a lot of people that are like, okay, this kid's struggling. I'm gonna just I'm gonna mentor him along because everybody else has got jobs, lives, you know their careers to worry about so i was clearly struggling and the especially in television there's tight deadlines they just said i'm sorry uh we're letting you go um and i said oh is that like a two-week thing or it's like no no if you could just pack up your desk now and um and and leave <laughs> um and that uh that the fact that I wasn't like I don't belong in animation. It was just a wake up call of like uh, you can't put your feet up no matter how secure you feel in your job. And I was feeling pretty good because I had a couple of decent chunks, little bit, bits of animation. But as soon as they dropped something huge in my lap, I just crumbled. Um, so it was it was just it, it was just humbling and sort of like kind of humiliating in, in a way because you just sort of had to go back to this like little my little desk and like I had toys up <laughs> um, that because I thought well this is it for me for about six to eight months and I, I had to put my toys in a box uh, and 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 walk out of the studio um, so luckily um just based on that little bit of experience i got um i was able to get a couple of like sort of web 
illustration and animation things. It didn't require necessarily the best quality in terms of, uh, you know, TV animation. It was just it was, it was just sort of like little web gigs, and that kept me going a little bit. Um, and then eventually, I got a landed a gig in at, in Prince Edward Island, uh, of all places, a place called Trapeze Animation. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still around, but so uh, I packed up my stuff and I moved all the way back east for about six to eight months and I did flash animation there. Uh, and then um, I that studio was sort of ramping down in terms of work and I just applied. I took a to AK Cartoons is where Ed and, Ed, Ed and Eddie was being made. And they said, we have a storyboard revisionist job. And I didn't actually want to be a storyboard artist because that's a lot of work. Um, and it was not, it was something that I was like, well, you get to draw, but it's it, character design is what I want to do. I really want to do this. Um, but, uh, you know, they had the revisionist job open. It paid a little bit more. And, you know, I was just single and living on my own. So I went back to Vancouver and I got introduced to the world of storyboarding. And storyboarding back then was on paper, like three panel sheets. Uh, and you had to do very accurate action notes at the bottom of your storyboard. So you would have to like write very accurate lowercase letters, very clear, because those boards were photocopied and sent overseas to be animated traditionally. Uh, and I did that for you know enough to for enough time to get some kind of no, handle on what storyboarding really was and what it meant. And then I. Uh, then I applied for a job on George of the Jungle, <laughs> uh, like a flash animation series that was being done at Studio B, which was down the street from uh, AKA Cartoons. So I did that, and I, that's when I started storyboarding professionally, which was, I think all told, that was like the first five years uh, of, of the job. And then one storyboarding gig rolled into another storyboarding gig, but I really, really, really felt that I belonged uh, doing a like being character designer uh, or being a character designer. And uh, so I decided that I would um, just go online and try to find anything that would be a character design post. And I did. I found one in Toronto. It was only for three or four months. And at that time, I was uh, married and a kid. I had a kid. Uh, so we had a brand new baby. And... Uh, but I was like, man, I feel like this is where I need to go. I need to do this character design job because one character design job will fall into another character design job. This is it. And uh, so I, I packed, up, packed up the family and we moved to Toronto and we did this, this one character design job for a, a pilot episode at a place called Core, Core Digital, which is no longer around. Um, and that led into another character design job on Grossology. And that led into a, another character design job on Total Drama Island. And I came to the realization, holy shit, do I hate character design. Because <laughs> uh, I think it's, it's really easy, especially in to, to think that character design is all concept sketches and very, like, very much like, you know, really beautiful paintings. And that is probably the first, the truth of the matter is that never happens. And if it does happen, it happens in the development phase on TV shows. And character design in TV animation is character rotations, mouth charts, pose sheets, it is very technical, laborious work. 
uh, those people, the people who do it and are able to bang it out are like just masters. Uh, and for me, I was just like, this is, I mean, I don't, I'm not invested in any of this. I'm not uh, just, I'm doing hand changes and like, you know, we're all boarding, we're doing it, sorry, we're all designing digitally. So we're going through like huge mouth charts and we're changing mouth shapes. It was, it's very, very, um, it, it just wasn't for me. Uh, but at that time, it's coming to Toronto for me was kind of an awakening in terms of art and being an artist because Vancouver, I mean, I don't know if the, I can't speak to it now, but back then we didn't have like an, a community of artists. Um, I think it's partially because the even the animation programs were built to get people into studios. And I feel in Toronto, that's part of it, but also there, uh, just with the amount of time you guys have and the training at Sheridan, it was like four years, you get a chance to sort of develop as artists yourself rather than artists. I don't know if that makes any sense. This is sort of like you're able to draw, but you're able to figure out how you, how you draw as an individual. Um, so you know, I would go into a book, a bookstore called Labyrinth. Um, is that Labyrinth still around? Yeah, it is. That's oh, great. Um, and I would see like, you know, books by just, you know, frankly, kids or people coming out of school or people who are just who are just sort of um, just pu self publishing the stuff. And I'm like, maybe I should try that. Um, and it's like, oh, and these guys have like you know, blogs. What are those websites? Um, so that kicked me off into like um, developing my own personal style while I was sort of doing character design. And, um, you know, when character design work would dry up, I would go back and I'd do like TV episode, board TV episodes for like preschool shows like Max and Ruby. Um, but uh, so then I sort of got to a point on social, on the blogosphere that's such a dated term now, fuck. Um, <laughs> but I would get uh, that I would sort of be able to get in contact with artists that would necessarily have, would give me a time of day. Um, and through that, uh, you know, I would was able to figure out like, you know, there, there are places I want to work at and I, you know, what better place to sort of work in animation, but like at a feature animation studio. And I was like, that would really, for me, that that was kind of where I wanted to be. I wanted to be in Los Angeles um, working on, on features. So uh, I, I cold emailed a Pixar uh, production designer <laughs> through LinkedIn um, and I sent them my stuff, uh, like my, you know, my blog. And um, and he got back to me. Uh, he said, you have a phone number I can contact you at? And uh, through that, I um, called, which was like an hour and a half. He said, look, I was looking through your stuff, and I got to tell you, you're a story artist. And I was like, well, I've been storyboarding for years. Um, but, you know, like, and he's like, oh, no, I'm not saying storyboard. I'm saying story artists. And he's like, there's a difference. Like, you clearly have, just through your drawings, you can, you tell stories. And he suggested this exercise where he's like, look, 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 look don't. Don't follow the rules of television that you've been sort of been doing for the last, you know, at that point, almost 10 years. Um, try just writing and boarding something that you want to see. 
so I did. Um, I sort of spent my evenings and weekends just boarding out this this little sequence, um, the guy with the big mustache on it, with birds on uh, I think it's probably online somewhere. Um, and that sequence, I sent back to the, the guy at Pixar. He, he shopped it around to a couple of story um, people, but has a story. He said, you know, nothing, nothing's really happening here at Pixar at the moment, but here I'm going to send you a few friends uh, down in Los Angeles. Uh, and from there, uh, I got a call from Sony Animation saying, hey, we've got this movie called Hotel Transylvania. We want you to talk to our director. Uh, the director was Gendy uh, Tartakovsky at that point, uh, so I got on, on Skype with him, and he liked me, and I liked him, and we I ended up boarding on uh, Hotel Transylvania. That was my first feature um, story gig, and from there it was Book of Life, and there was one canceled movie in between that. Oh, a Planet 51 as well. I think that was, yeah, Planet Earth 51, Planet 51, one of the ones. And then uh, from there, I should mention, af right after so this, that Sony gig, I had the opportunity to do some freelance uh, for DreamWorks Animation. That was my first con contact with them. Um, and it was going well until the, the movie that they were working on just uh, went away. Um, so I thought for sure that was going to be my time down. In I was like, oh, this is it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move down to L.A. <laughs> and they called me right after my second sequence with them and said, you know, uh, this movie's going to go into rewrites, so we don't have anything for you now. So I was up, with, up in Toronto. And it was good timing, too, honestly. I just, we just had our second kid. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, when you have a kid, it's just it's sleepless nights and stuff. So it was probably for the best that we stayed in Toronto for, like, another year. And then I got a... And then shortly after Book of Life, I got a call from Pixar again saying, hey, how's it going? Send your uh, portfolio down. And I did. And I flew down there and I met with them and it was looking pretty good. Um, but I was like, well, you know what? Since I had already worked with them, I'll, uh, I'll send my portfolio to DreamWorks as well. And they called me back right away as well. And they said, hey, um, you know, everyone really likes your stuff. And you know, what are you doing right now? It's like, oh, uh, nothing really. I was, I was freelancing still, um, illustrating books. And, uh, you know, he's uh, like, it's too bad. I, I kind of just said it off the cuff. And I realized it was probably one of the smartest things I said. I'm like, it's too bad. I, I, I should have come and visit you guys when I was down in San Francisco being interviewed at Pixar. And the, the tenor of the conversation changed almost immediately. And you're like, wait a minute, are you, you're being interviewed by Pixar currently? Yes. Uh, so it's like, okay, uh, well, we'll get back to you uh, pretty soon. Uh, not even 24 hours, I had an offer from DreamWorks Animation <laughs> to fly me and my family down and start working uh, at the San Francisco campus. And that was six years ago. Wow. So that's, what, that's, that's quite it. the quite the story that's <laughs> happening in between in the last ten years. Wow. Yeah. Um, I do have a few questions coming out of that. One one is uh, you said you kind of learned what a storyboard or a story artist actually entailed. You know, once you got into the industry, so maybe you can dispel some of the myths of, you know, sure. what students or what people think a storyboard well, artist is versus yeah, uh, I mean, doing it. Yeah, I mean, at the time. 
there, I think it's changed uh, dramatically from my time at starting in television to my time in feature. Television, uh, when I was working in it, was very much, you had to, you know, it was very flat. Uh, we're all working in like uh, flash animation or, or harmony, I think. And you would have to reuse backgrounds and you couldn't really do like, you know, dynamic shots a lot because that would cost money. It would be a new background or say if you wanted to lock the camera on your character and have the background cycle backwards, that would mean like a whole pan. Like you, you couldn't really think like that. So all that sort of knowledge of cinema that you'd probably have bubbling around your brain because just because you work in animation kind of goes out the window when you're working in television animation. Um, so, yeah, I, it, it just, it just was, storyboard was very much an instruction manual to keep the production going. And being a story artist is taking something like, a, like script pages or sometimes no pages and elevate it and just having a director going, we need the character to um, face his inner demons, and we don't know how to do that visually. Go ahead, go, um, and write the material yourself, which is a lot of my job uh, at DreamWorks. So um, it it is very much it's it's just a different kind of thing. Where I think, I mean, I don't know. I think it's changed in terms of te technical um, technical ability because I've seen a lot of great television portfolios where it looks like a feature um, now and like the I mean they're posed out to be to like a thousand panels some some of these things I've seen or like you know two thousand panels because every little like eye blank every little gesture is is, is, is thought out um, but uh, it, it is there's a little more of a cinema feel to some of the new stuff and I think it's because a lot of it's 3d or they're very much specific, they're, they're um, streaming specific shows, so they have a, probably a little bit more of a budget. Um, but it's it's coming to a point now where TV and, and, and film, I can't differentiate the two in terms of storyboards or story, but when I started out, and it sounds, I sound so old when I say about it, when I started out, it was, there was very much a different, different mentality to the two and story, uh, being a story artist meant uh, having showing in your boards uh, a knowledge of cinema and a ability to write material. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it sounds sounds kind of like TV from what you were used to was taking existing assets and just uh, manipulating them to keep the, the new episodes going. I guess versus uh, movie yeah. productions, which were like more in, imaginative and from scratch. Yeah, I mean, and that it, it sounds very, very, sex, uh, very sexy, but it's also like we get to points even in future where we're ha like running towards a screening and everything's cut together and we are doing very small fixes and it gets te very technical, you know, then, but very much like I've been on productions when we have no art, nothing. And that's the most fun where you are just trying to figure out the voice of the film. Sounds great. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, because it sounds like, um, you know, cold outreaching to different people has really impacted your career over the years, uh, mm -hmm. especially with that called the Pixar. So can you go about, you know, for somebody who hasn't done any cold outreaching or anything, can you go about giving some advice, you know, how 
how do you contact people? What do you say? Is LinkedIn the best way? Is is finding their email, um, anything like that? I mean, it's it's hard. I think it's 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 hard. I mean, I I've had people uh, throughout my career reach out to, and I think that I mean, yeah, not to take it personally when people don't get back to you. It just it's just the nature. I mean, you are a stranger, and honestly, people just have busy lives. But um, it's the key is to be respectful and just to introduce yourself and talk about what you want out of the conversation don't go looking for a job uh or don't don't have i mean please please don't have a script <laughs> that you want to send them or or a idea for a tv show these are these are people who are just artists like like you and they are trying to get their own stuff off the ground if you go to them and you're looking for real advice about how to get into the, the business or what you can improve on, then most, I think, I believe most people are receptive to that. Um, so when you introduce yourself, if you're a student, just say that you're a student at such and such college or such and such university. Um, here's a link to my stuff. I appreciate some feedback and and that should be it. And when and if the feedback is given and this is the most important thing is to say thank you <laughs> at the end. Because, um, you know, I've, I've talked to a few people, especially sort of just even in, in my where I where I work and, you know, the thing that's the most disheartening is the um, is the time is when you give the feedback and it might not be feedback you want to hear you might you might not want to hear hey i think you really benefit from going to more life drawing or hey you know what you should really study some films like this and it just that things that will tell you that you're maybe not quite ready um that isn't meant to be mean that's just meant to be truthful um because we're not twirling our mustaches and going, well, I just don't want this person to apply. We're just saying like we, you know, we stand shoulder to shoulder with a lot of really talented people. And like we see a lot of portfolios and these are the things that you'll need to do in order to get through the recruiter and on one of our desks or somebody else's desks. So um, when you get that kind of feedback and they do take the time, just say thank you. And that goes a long way sounds good yeah um well i was going to ask what how should you respond after somebody takes the time to uh give you some feedback but i guess the answer is just to say thank you <laughs> hey, thank you and then like i mean the most heartening thing is when you say thank you so much for the feedback and if there is advice the advice is taken and you send them back material like that that, that's just the beginning of a relationship with somebody, um, or an artist or a potential uh, mentor. And, uh, you know, I'd say just don't be pushy. And, you know, um, if if they don't get back to you, don't don't follow up with like 15 emails. Just be patient. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Um, there are a lot of really talented people out there um, who like to teach or, or like to like like just to help other artists out because like like the first half of this podcast you know there everyone struggles everyone 
wishes. Like I wish there was a, I had a mentor when I was struggling, when I first got my, got my first job. Like, um, we know, we all know what it's like. We all know how it feels. And we just, you know, we all want that sort of comforting hand to go, you know what, you're doing okay. Here's what else you can do. You know what, those, those things matter. And just being grateful and, and appreciative of those people when they do when they do do that to you is just I mean frankly it's just good manners. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, if, if that's the one advice I can give, it's just like, it's like don't don't be don't be pushy, and just be thankful when you do get that feedback. Right. Um, and so, what is the role of social media in all this? Because that is something that you know is. A lot more sure. up and coming than uh, some other avenues of getting in touch with people. So, when you know a studio is looking at you or somebody's looking at your work, how much do they consider? You know, how many followers you have, how many posts you have, what kind of work you have on there. How did how does social media scale in all this? Social media. Um, well, I mean, I'll I'll say this for social media. Like when I first started, I think I still have the account. Um, that helped out a lot, just in um, sending people a very quick link to like my stuff and also helps getting my first uh, children's book gig, which I don't think we really talked about, but I can talk about a little bit now, which is, uh, um, I got contacted by a illustration agent who said, you know, we saw your stuff and you know, how would you feel about being represented by us? Um, and being a freelance artist, I would never say no to a gig, especially when you have like a kid <laughs> or two. Um, so that helped out a lot uh, in getting in getting launched into children's books. Um, social media now, I think, is it has changed uh, for good or bad. Um, it's it's a very different um, animal. Like for me, for 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 Blogspot, you would get like 20, 30 comments. Some people would get a hundred, and you go, oh my. Um, and now with hashtags and everything like you 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 put the right hashtag on you get a thousand likes and it's bolstering and you know it definitely boosts your ego but um it doesn't mean it doesn't mean as much as i think people think it means and, and that includes followers to me as well uh we've you know we have artists at the studio who are very good but they have something like 30 40 000 followers um and they're at their trainees <laughs> uh and or their junior artists um i think social media uh especially for a professional it you think you have to be like it you have to be a little bit on it's not even being honest it's being really transparent about who you are and what you do and um i i know for a fact that we sometimes pull out our phones when we see portfolio like flat like flat card uh portfolios at the studio and we'll pull out their instagram account and flip through their stuff as well um and i think it's just important when you do that um i was saying to you earlier like instagram or tumblr or is that tumblr is still a thing who knows um is a way of curating your life and uh curating who you are as an artist and whatever you do do on that Instagram page um, and if people like me or or studio signs off on that you better be that artist when you come to the studio 
that's kind of it. Um, so don't don't be like posting amazing work on your Instagram account and then show up to work late and give some yeah, crap. Well, exactly. I mean, like because people can really pre present themselves as being super prolific and really really competent and like constantly drawing, and then you know we get excited and we bring that person in and then we can't find them at their desks because they're they're busy Instagramming. Um, <laughs> Or taking pictures of, of themselves by, you know, outside drawing at a cafe. I'm like, that's great. That's good. I was at a cafe this morning at six before work. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> um, so I think it's just like, it is a great tool and you get a lot of eyes on your stuff. Um, I think it's just, uh, it, it's just about being uh, as upfront when you get those jobs and when you get those opportunities uh, and just be that person that you are presenting to yourself on Instagram. And if you're not, then change it. Like then, you know, have that, you know, if you want a lifestyle profile and, you know, you can have all the wonderful magical things that, you know, happen when you work in animation, great. But when you are presenting yourself as a, an artist working in a studio, um, that has to be, a, you, you take a chance every time you bring a new artist in, just make sure that you are that person. <laughs> Sounds good, that's good advice. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking let's switch up this talk a little bit and yeah. uh, talk a little bit about, you know, once you actually land your first gig as a story artist or other professional at a, at a studio, mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the skills and attitudes you need, you know, to land that and also be successful in that role? Um, um, I know you do a lot of things yourself to, to stay competitive technically, but what kind of, so there's like the technical skills, but also what kind of soft skills do you need to keep up on? I, uh, well, soft skills, I mean, I'm still learning soft skills, um, but I think soft skills are just as important sometimes uh, not to be, you know, I, I think, you know, being really good at what you do and, you know, being a good technical artist and, being able to pitch in the room uh, are all like things you need to be as, do uh, as a story artist. But uh, soft skills, uh, especially in, in in feature, I mean, I'll just go on on the day to day of what happens sort of at, at my office. And so let's say it's Monday, and you know I'll come in around seven. My work doesn't necessarily technically technically start at nine. Uh, coming at seven or six and I'll draw something for myself um, and just get myself warmed up for the day and uh, oh bye hon my wife's leaving me not permanently she's just leaving <laughs> she's just leaving to go to the front um, <laughs> um, so I'll start the day just sort of getting you know excited to draw again and then let's say nine o'clock I'll meet with my director and we will get launched on a sequence. And depending on whether the sequence is something that you're excited about or something that you're like, oh, uh, uh, you know, like, I don't know how to do this. Um, in the room is, uh, you know, I got launched on a sequence that was not too long ago that was daunting. Like it was a massive sequence. Uh, in the room, don't let that show on your face. <laughs> Um, the director has a lot of things to worry about, and the last thing he wants to worry about is a story artist who can't deliver, you know, a sequence in 
a number of weeks. So in that room for that moment, take everything you take, you take the direction you're given and you go back to your office. And then if you want to freak out, you freak out, but close the door. Um, <laughs> and I don't think that should go away, by the way. I think if you are not, you know, wondering how you can tackle a sequence, sequence um, every time you get one and something's wrong. Uh, I think every sequence should be challenging, not maybe it's not the most challenging on paper, but like how is, is it going to challenge you as an artist? Like, you know, this is a very in, active uh, act is very much an acting dri driven uh, moment in the film. So like, you know, what kind of expressions uh, can I do that aren't just like happy, sad, uh, angry, you know, like how can I get the subtlety of that moment? Um, so what happens when you're presented with a sequence that you're not the biggest fan of? Like, how do you approach feedback in that sense? Oh, uh, when you get a sequence that, I mean, and sometimes the director will tell you very frankly, like, uh, this sequence, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of, but I mean, you could, you could go and, you know, I did this very, never, never do this now, but like I used to do this very early on in my career. I'm like, well, I agree with you. Yeah, it's not, it's not working either. I don't, and, but I wouldn't present any solutions. Um, when you're given a sequence that is clearly not working on the page, or even the director's saying it's not working, or, you know, I don't know what to do with this. So your job as a story artist, as a person who lives and breathes film and animation, to come up with a solution. And whether it's there on the spot, um, or whether it's, you know, a day later, uh, you take the material that you're given and it's your job to elevate, not to sit there and show on it with, with everybody else. Your job is to take minor, small things, especially when you're running into a screening. There's an opportunity even there to like make that the best eye blink or the best open mouth you can, <laughs> you can make it. Um, so and you know, like these these days are long. These hours are, are can be long too. But like, those are the op. Those, when you give them those opportunities of like, when somebody when it, people are down in the room, that's your job. It's your job to be up in the room. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. It, I mean, it sounds like that's part of you know your role as a story artist is to take all those problems and turn them into solutions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, are there any specific films or scripts or anything that you would recommend to get better at technical skills or that have or like help your creative thinking when you're when you're trying to look for a solution? Um, like, say well, you're stumped. Do you turn to specific things to help? Well, I mean, I think that I mean, if there, that's I mean, that's something I can I cannot stress enough. Uh, especially if you want to get into storyboards, is that you have to watch movies all the time. All the time. All the time. You have to watch movies, uh, movies you don't like, movies that don't work. God, I mean, I sat through Mortal Instruments, or is that the one with the rolling cities? You, like this camera? I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen but it yet. I sat through it because I was like, I got to see what, what makes this movie not good. I mean, and it's very obvious, but like, um, but you just have to digest film and if you do it enough and if you watch enough, um, you know, 
there's there, the saying of like every story's been told. Like there's not there's nothing new under the sun. Like when you're given a presented a sequence, your mind uh, sh- will be popping up with moments from different films. Like a keyword will trigger you. Go watch those films. Go watch those moments in those movies. And like this is a really tense moment, and the character's sneaking around in the in the cave, and then like. Well, what movies where there's like creepy things, you know, crawling all around you? Well, there's, you know, there's the first King Kong, there's the Peter Jackson King Kong, there's, um, there's Skull Island, there's there's a plethora of films that you can look at, or you know, there's like the first Alien, or this, even the second Alien of like wondering where that creature's going to jump out of, like how did that director build tension? What are the shots they use? Um, and frankly, I mean, can you, like, that's your homework. You get to go watch movies. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> super cool. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's just watching film. I mean, and honestly, like, there's so much TV now that it's just so cinematic, too. Uh, I watched um, uh, The Marvelous Miss Maisel. Uh, I don't know if you got, have you seen, heard of that show? Yeah, it's on, yeah. It's on Netflix, right? There, yeah, or it's on Amazon, and I uh, I watched it not too long ago, and there was a just a brilliant transition from one location to another, and I was saw it, watched it like three times. I'm like, that's that's in the memory bank. I'm going to steal that shot one day. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, if they're just just keep watching, and then in terms of reading material. Um, like I just finished reading the uh, the Spider Verse uh, screenplay, um, which was really really interesting to read. Uh, I mean, it's it's almost beat for beat the, the movie, which leads me to believe it's probably a conform script. Conform scripts are what they do. They like scripts, especially in animation, are never permanent. So if a story artist comes out with a new line of dialogue or, you know, a, a actor riffs on something in the, in the record, scripts are immediately updated and, uh, and uh, conformed to that. So, um, but it was interesting to see, even in that script, moments uh, as a story artist that I'm like, ooh, you could really open this moment up or, or you could really, like, extend this or... Because um, you would have script, screen direction like Spider-Man doing Spider-Man moments. That was the screen direction. I'm like, well, that could be anything <laughs> uh, in terms of like, what can Spider-Man do? So um, it's really, if as an exercise, um, I would recommend like finding a movie that you really like. Um, like I just uh, I have a book of the. Their voices are so distinct, but so, go. Sorry, Colin, you just cut out for a second. Oh. You have a book. Oh, uh, the the uh, book of the screenplay, Amer- uh, American Beauty. Oh. Um, that's a really well written screenplay. But like, you no, know, uh, find find a movie that you identify with. It doesn't have to be like a lot. Any of the AFI top one hundred, something that you really like. You could probably find the screenplay online as a PDF. Or I could buy a screenplay, um, especially if it's a released movie, and grab a moment of that, grab a couple of pages, and sh- try to board it hmm. without looking at the film. Just board it and see what you come up with. Because that's a good exercise. 
because you know we're all storytellers and filmmakers so you know like i'm i don't know if you do this at school but like sometimes i'll just like pop in a movie and kind of listen to it while i'm working and maybe i'll go back and watch the movie or watch the sequence and it was in my mind's eye it was completely different from what was happening on screen even if i've seen the movie like a hundred times i'm like oh you know i kind of shot it differently in my head um Give it, I mean, I've done it a couple of times over my uh, my my break, <laughs> and it's it's really it's a fun exercise, and it's just sort of um, it's just sort of fun to like see how you would shoot a moment if you were you know calling the shots. Yeah, um, well, you've given a lot of great advice on what it's like to be a story artist and reaching out to people. I'm wondering. Uh, as one last question, what specific advice would you have for students such as myself, or in this case, specifically students wanting to become a story artist? I know that, you know, you've said uh, a lot of things about technical and soft skills you need to have in reaching out and stuff. At this point in our careers, I guess, what would you say is the most important would you focus on? Focus on, I mean, thinking about like, I we just, I, I just, we did portfolio reviews like four or five months ago. Um, but the thing um, is making your work, one thing definitely, uh, make your work accessible. And what I mean by that is if, say, you are applying to be a storyboard artist, uh, however you set up your site, uh, panels, some people like display their panels as like contact sheets. Um, just how the industry works is that we like being able to flip through your drawings, like as we're watching, like we're walking, watching an animatic. Does that make sense? Like we're stepping through yeah. it. So yeah. single panel, single page kind of thing. When we get, when we get a flat portfolio, that's when we can see the contact sheet and we can look, we can roll it, we can run our eyes through the page. But, um, when we're looking at something online, um, I know that there's, you know, there's that, uh, there's the old thing about um, pat, like page count on a portfolio. I think dig the digital has kind of shattered that because like, you know, a flat portfolio shouldn't be more than, you know, 25 pages. Um, but a, uh, a digital portfolio, especially for story, should be like two sequences and like two really good sequences. Um, and I think the other thing to keep in mind is you know, we know you can read. We hope that you can read when you come into the, like, we know you can read a script and, and stuff like that. But I think what we're looking for, what I look for when I look at portfolios anyways, I can't speak to everyone, but I look for uh, creativity and voice or that's like chief, that's job one. Uh, I want an, in a, like, I want to see innovation in the boards. Um, I want to see uh, just sort of a, a very distinctive, funny or or charming uh, voice come through. So, can you give an example of what innovation? Oh, you're just gonna say. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, like, who, what, what, like, I mean, and then you gotta know your audience too. Like, if you're applying to a place like, like a DreamWorks or even like Disney and stuff like that, you're probably not going to you know, have guys with machine guns running around and like, you know, like you're not, 
I, I don't think that the, the, those like when we get like super action oriented game like moments, um, it's not it's for me. I'm like, well, I mean, he, he should go work at Blizzard or the game company. Um, but if you're you know having you know a character discover like their superpowers or find like find like find a monster in a forest or something like that. I'm not saying do that, but I'm saying like, you know, something that is definitely in the, in the realm of what you kind of see in animation and something that's sort of been a staple in animation, if that makes any sense. Um, so do that. And then in terms of like, being an individual in, in, in the boards, I mean, that, that, com- that takes years, but like, you'd like to see the beginnings of that. And then sort of, um, if you have done commercial work, that should be the end. Like, so I'm gonna change my statement. It's like, it's gonna be two individual pieces. And then one, if you have done commercial work, which a lot of people have, or they've done, like they've done a sequence or two on a film, put that at the end. Gotcha, sounds um, good. So, and then, you know, Character sketches, life drawing, that stuff is like the last thing we want to see. Not the last thing we want to feel like that's the last thing we want to see. It's just the last thing that we want to see. It's not the thing that you put forward. If you're a story right. artist, then it should be very much a story-based portfolio. And then we can look at the technical skills at the back. Gotcha. Um, well, yeah, um, uh, if you have anything else to say, I think I think that's a wrap at this point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Colin. I, I really do appreciate you taking your time to come on the podcast. No um, now, just before we leave, I want to share how to get in touch with Colin if you have more questions or want to see his work. And that is by following him on Instagram uh, at Instagram.com slash Colin Jack stories. And I'll put that in the description of this podcast as well. And that's all for now. Okay, bye. Bye.